Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. As we were praying, and as everybody was sharing scripture, it just really, really touched my heart is hearing the stories of how God has met each of us in unique ways. Uh, I often like to say that our stories are unique, but we're not alone. Um, our, each of us, God, is, we've experienced them in unique ways, but we're not alone. We're part of a covenant community uh, called the church, called together with a common hope in Jesus. And so I'm so thankful we could share about that. And now we're going to be looking at that today in Genesis 28. And we come across a character in Jacob, who to me is one of the more compelling characters in the Bible. Um, he's really compelling because he's complex. He has layers. He's someone who uh, is not just a cookie cutter, kind of white bread you know, kind of baby face hero. He is someone who has some complexity to him. It's not, you know, like the, the cowboy in white versus the cowboy in black. They're, he's very interesting. And so when you think about literature, some of the characters that have really struck me would be like from the Harry Potter novels. Snape is a very complex character. He has this really dark past, but when he's asked why he was motivated to, to care for Harry Potter, he just simply said the word love that he loved Harry's mother, Lily. Uh, You look at Sirius Black, whose anger led him into, uh, an impatience led him to a place where he had to suffer for a very long time. And I think we like Jacob, or I like Jacob, simply because he's like us. We we look at Jacob's life, and he's a mixture of motivations. He's a mixture uh, of, of experiences. At one moment, he seems like a pretty nice guy. At the next, he's willing to steal your blessing and, and you know, pawn you off a bowl of soup uh, for, for your birthright. Uh, and that's a lot like us. We're all complex people who are looking for hope, looking for encouragement, looking for assurance. And so last week, we saw Jacob get everything that he wanted. Jacob deceived his brother, he got his blessing, and everything in life seems like it's falling into place until it's not. And Jacob's life begins to fall apart. And it leads us here to the beginning of chapter 28, where we see in verse 1 that Isaac finally blesses Jacob. It says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So he says, I'm going to bless you, but we have to continue the covenant blessing. So I need you to marry somebody from within God's family. And so I want you to marry this woman so you can fulfill the covenant as verses three through five tell us that God Almighty would bless him, he would make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And so we see him being blessed with everything. Isaac's pronouncing this blessing upon him and then life begins to fall apart. We see verse 10, he, fast forwarding a little bit, that Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And it said, he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Jacob leaves home, finds himself in the middle of nowhere, and he's completely alone. 
It seems like he is as far away from the blessings and the promises of God as one could possibly imagine. And that's why it's important for us, like this morning, to remind each other of the promises of God from the scriptures because we need them in the moments where we feel them the least. We need the promises of God in the moments where they seem the least likely and the most distant. And this is the place where God reaches out to Jacob. He shows up in the most miraculous way possible and he comforts Jacob with these words in verse 15, four simple words, I am with you. I am with you. These are the words that that change you. The very presence of God with Jacob and with us. And Jacob had heard about God. Jacob had heard about God's faithfulness to Abraham where he showed up to him three different times and promised him a son. He'd heard about God's faithfulness to Sarah, meeting her in her barrenness. He'd heard about about God's faithfulness to his father Isaac to continue the blessing and to Rebekah as she has this wrestling match happening within her womb that everything's gonna be okay. But he had only heard these things secondhand. It's one thing to believe something as an idea. It's another to cherish it in your heart. And what happens when we see the promises of God is we cling to something that can be real to us. It's not just facts, but have you encountered God for yourself? And we see an invitation this morning to see that God is here, an invitation to know him, to be changed by him, to know that you are not alone because God is with you. So let's see what this means for us, that God reveals himself to us. And the first is that presence assures you. God's presence is an assurance to you. And the first way it's an assurance is in your problems. Jacob's life right now is one giant hairy mess. It is one big problem after another. He's at odds with his brother Esau, who's ready to kill him. Kill him. I've wanted to kill my brother for less, so I understand He has a strained relationship with his dad, is willing to bless him, but wasn't exactly his favorite son. He's away from his mother, and he looks at his future, and it seems so uncertain. He's supposed to be the heir, but here he is sitting in the middle of the desert by himself. Verse 11, we see that it's not exactly, you know, a comfort in. Uh, He went to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. That sleep number setting 145, the hardest pillow you could possibly imagine. Life is falling apart. And there's literally nothing he can do but go to bed. You ever have one of those days where you're like, I just need to go back to sleep. It's been a day. It's 7.45 and it's already turned out to be a bad day. You just want to go back to bed. And that's where God meets him. Verse 12, it says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And when we think about ladder, we need to imagine more like a grand staircase And he sees that God is coming down to him in the midst of his problems. And verse 13 says that God is standing above it. I don't know if you've ever seen an old movie in a mansion where someone is standing very regal at the top of a staircase. That's what we can imagine, that God is standing above his problems. And then he steps down into the midst of his problems. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I am your God. I am the God of your troubles. 
I am the God who gives peace. This past week, I was able to spend some time, Amy and I, with one of our church planning networks, uh, the Harbor Network, which is a fantastic partner for us that really wants to launch, lead, and multiply healthy churches by developing healthy leaders. And one of their values is retreating. And so once a year, our pastors and wives get away and we just spend time together. We encourage each other, lay on a beach for a couple of days. It is wonderful. And a guy named Ronnie Martin was talking about peace as peace was the, was the, 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 you know, the theme of the entire week. And he says that when we think of peace, we imagine peace as sort of this light feeling. It's like Otis Redding's song, you know, we're sitting on the dock of the bay. That's what we imagine. Our, and the tide washes all of our problems away. That peace means there's no worries in life. And that peace only comes when our problems are over. But the problem with that kind of thinking is if peace only comes when your problems are gone, Jesus isn't with you in the worst. If peace only comes when your problems are no more, then Jesus isn't with you at the lowest point of your life. And this is how God deals with your problems. He deals with your problems through his presence. God God doesn't enter into your problems. He's he's not the phone a friend that you call whenever things fall apart and he's sort of distant until until you need him. He's already there. When we think about the storm that, that Jesus and his disciples went into, God was in the midst of the storm. He's already there in the midst of our problems to embrace you with his love and his care and his peace. And what you begin to see is that he's big enough to deal with your problems because Ephesians 2.14 says that God did not want to just simply give you peace for he himself is our peace. Peace is not the removal of your problems. Peace is a person who comes to you. He came to Jacob. He was with him at his lowest. He would be with Moses as Moses was running away in his shame. He was with Ruth, who was a fugitive and and, and an immigrant. He was with Esther in the midst of her trying to bear the weight of an entire people. He was with men in the fiery furnace as they were wondering if God was with them. And he is no less there with you. And he assures you that it's going to be okay. This past week, one of my heroes in the faith, Tim Keller, died. Um, and look, this church would not exist with it, without Tim Keller, not simply because I quote him like every week, um, but because his vision for the gospel, his vision for what the church is, the way the church engages the city and the pervasiveness of the gospel in our lives is the foundation of our church. And he said something while suffering from stage four pancreatic cancer, one of the last videos that he posted. He said, whatever you're worried about most right now, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Because he says this to Jacob too. He says, I am your God, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. It means the biggest promise, problems that you face, his presence is the answer. He is with you. The very way that Jesus came demonstrates this. What was the first name given to Jesus in the gospel of John? It's the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 14, three, Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And then in Matthew 28, 20, at the end of the great commission, his last words to his disciples, he says, I will be with you until the end. He is there for you. He is the God over your finances. He is the God over your family. He's the God over your relationship, over your job, over your kids, over your sickness. Jesus is there with you through each of those. 
So it gives us the assurance in the midst of our problems, but his presence also gives us assurance of his promises, of God's promise, singular. Now, now this, this, may, this may seem familiar as you look at verses 13 through 14, that God promises he's going to give him the land, he's going to give him offspring, the same promises he's given to Abraham, Isaac, and later to his kids. But I say promise singular, not just simply promises plural, because there's a central promise that makes all other promises possible. What made the promise of, of a family, what made the promise of land, what made the promise of, of God prospering him possible was God's presence, that I'm with you and I'm not leaving you until I bless you. God's faithfulness to Jacob is the promise that makes all other promises come true, that he never fails and he never leaves. And this is why when Jacob is homeless, he can trust that he will possess a land because God is with him. When he's wifeless and God promises an offspring, he can trust because God is with him. When he's directionless and purposeless, he can trust that he will be a blessing for all people because God is with him. And for you, it is no different. The hope of the resurrection is the promise that Jesus is with you and will always be with you. And the first thing that Jesus did after the resurrection was meet the people who loved him and assured them that he had risen from the dead. He said, I want you to know, I want you to see, I want you to feel, I want you to touch, I want you to experience my goodness. I want you to be assured that I'm with you. This is why you can face loss because God is with you. You can face death because God is with you. You can face pain because God is with you. You can face unresolved tension because God is with you. Jesus is with you. He is alive. His presence also gives you the assurance of God's provision. Jacob is now a fugitive. He's running from place to place. He's living off like 7-Eleven taquitos. Like he is doing whatever he can to survive. And God is no less present in that. God is no less present in Jacob's wandering than he is when Jacob was sitting in the comforts of his tent at home. And we often say words like, God will provide. You know, it's one of those little truisms we say, you know, God's going to provide. Things are tough, but God's going to provide. But when you're in the midst of it, do you believe it deep down? And this gets tested when you feel out of control. God's good when the paycheck's steady. God's good when the relational waters are calm and the Wi-Fi connection's strong. God's good when things begin to get uncertain and the, the boat starts to rock and life feels murky and everything seems bleak, what happens in your heart? Is it anxiety or fear or panic or grasping for control? And we see this in the story of Peter walking on water as Jesus beckons him, come, walk on the water as I'm walking. And Peter's doing okay. And then he begins to look down and see the choppiness of the water and realize, oh, I'm walking on water. People shouldn't be able to do this. And he begins to sink. And what did Peter do? He took his eyes off the fact that Jesus was with him. Jesus says these words in Matthew 6. He says, why, why are you anxious about food? Why are you worried about the clothing that you'll wear? Because I array the flowers of the field with splendor and I know where the sparrow falls. How much more do I love you? 
And this is why you, you know that God will provide for you because Romans 8 says that he will. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God provides. But God's presence also gives us the assurance of God's presence, which sounds a little redundant. You're like, did I type something wrong in my notes? Stephen slipping a little bit like, well, duh, like, God, of course, would give us his presence if he's giving us his presence. But it's one thing to say you believe it, it's another to experience it. And when you begin to experience the presence of God, you actually begin to expect the presence of God. You begin to lean on the presence of God. You begin to trust that God is near. Tim Keller said, Jacob believed in God, but it wasn't enough to face the disasters of his life. He had to encounter God. And the ladder or stairway is, is telling us something about how we experience the presence of God. It's, it's a guarantee. In the story, it sounds familiar because if you look back at Genesis chapter 11, we see something happening in the opposite direction. We see the Tower of Babel as man is trying to get up to God through his own efforts, through his own, his own desire, through his, through his own ways and plans that he wanted to reach heaven and be like God. So all of us are trying to reconnect with the God who created us, and there's no guarantee of getting there. There's no guarantee of getting there on our own through the, the Tower of Babel. And see, the thing is, is every worldview has a ladder. Every worldview has a staircase that says that if you will ascend this ladder, you ascend this staircase, you're going to get to the promised land. If you go this direction, you're going to get what your heart wants most. And there's a religious version of that. There's a version of that that says, if I just do all the right things, if I just have the right morals, if I just follow the right laws, if I just make the right type of people happy, then I can achieve relationship with God. There's an irreligious version of that, this, the success ladder. If I just get that promotion, if I just get that raise, it could be the ladder of fulfillment if I just have enough experiences to fulfill the desires of my heart. If I just find that relationship that's finally going to make me feel like I'm enough. And all of these, what they're saying is that if you do these things, it will lead to your good. But the difference is, is Christianity says that God came down the ladder to us. Not that we're building our way up toward God, but that he came toward us. And this is the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where God can be found. And every other worldview says if you work hard enough and you try hard enough and you climb high enough, and if you nip that and tuck that and look this way and do all of these things, you'll finally get there. What Christianity says is God came down to us, took on the form of a servant, died on a sinner's cross so that we could be made right with him. And the reality is, is Jacob's not crushing it. Jacob is not crushing it at life. He, he, he's not living a moral life. He is not going to have an Instagram influencer page telling you how to live your best life. He's a sleeping failure. And that's where God meets him with grace upon grace. And what we see, and if you begin to see this, you're starting to get Christianity and you're seeing the goodness of God and we see this most fully over in John chapter 1. We see over in John chapter 1 where Jesus meets Nathaniel. Philip, Nathaniel's friend, meets him and says, I think we found the Messiah. 
I think we found the one. And they had this whole discussion about Nazareth. And he's like, no, Nazareth is like a little podunk town. Nothing good comes from there. And, and Jesus says to, to, to Nathaniel, he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And skipping forward a little bit, Jesus says, I saw you. And Nathaniel's flipping out. He says, Rabbi, you're, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the ladder. The ladder that Jacob saw was Jesus, the only way for heaven and earth to be reconciled. The only way for you and I to be made right with God is through, not through our own efforts, not through our plans, but through Jesus who came to us. And this becomes the guarantee and the deposit of the hope that we'll be, we will be in the presence of God forever. And when we look to the cross and we look to what Christ has done for us, it continues to give us assurance that if Jesus could take care of our sin and deal with our biggest problem, we can trust him daily. Jacob responds to this and he is absolutely floored. He says over in uh, verse 16, he says, he says I've seen God. I, 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 this is God. This place is holy. He awoke, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was assured of God's presence and he hoped that he would be in God's presence. Going back to Tim Keller, and this isn't a eulogy for Tim Keller, but this was so poignant for this week. One of the final things he said before he went into hospice is he said, I want to go home. He said, I'm ready to go home. The end goal and the hope of our hope in Christ is we will be with God forever. And what happened for Keller and what should happen for us is over a lifetime of beholding the presence of God, looking to God through his word, trusting him, looking to the hope of the cross, is it tunes and preps our heart for the day we will be with him forever. So we, the presence of God gives us assurance. So what does this assurance do in you? Real quickly as we wrap up. Assurance changes you. Assurance changes you. It changes how you see yourself. Verse 17, Jacob says, How awesome is this place. The place of uncertainty has become awesome. Because it's no longer a place for just his wanderings. It's no longer a place for him to kind of just figure life out. He actually sees that God has led him to this place. And he says, this is none other than the house of God that is the gate of heaven, that wherever God is, is home. He's no longer a fugitive, but he's now a pilgrim. The pilgrim, the difference between a fugitive and a pilgrim is a pilgrim is going away from something and a pilgrim is going, or a fugitive is going away, a pilgrim is going toward we begin to see that the entire life of pilgrim faith is God beckoning us to join him in all of life because he's with us in every area of life. Secondly, is it causes us to worship. God turns this stone into a place of worship. Verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. We see God changing him so that he begins to worship. And when you recognize that God is with you, you see his grace, you see that he's never leaving, the response is worship. 
and our lives become a testimony to the goodness of God. And what God often does is he takes those places of struggle, he takes those places of pain, he takes those places of hurting and longing, and he makes them places of worship and testimony. For Jacob, the stone was a constant reminder of God when he met him at his lowest. And so in what ways has God turned your darkest moments, your biggest struggles, into ways that you can praise him for his goodness? It also causes us to pray, to pray, to move us toward prayer. Jacob asks a really clunky prayer in verses 20 and 21. So then Jacob made a vow saying, if, if God will be with me, which God already said he would be, uh, and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So if you've ever struggled with praying at community group or praying at church out loud, you're probably doing better than Jacob. He's praying for something God already said he'd give him. When you've been assured by God that he's with you, you see that he wants to hear from you. God isn't just sitting in the room with us doodling on a cell phone. He is engaged with us. There's eye contact. There's real presence. And when you realize that this is a, a call to prayer, you realize that God cares about the little stuff. We often think that our prayers are just too small to ask God. You know, God, like, I know you've got like, world hunger and poverty to deal with. I'm sure my lost car keys aren't a big deal. But I mean, but I've seen God move in this way. I mean, just, just last year, I, we had a rental car and I couldn't find my key. And I knew it was up here somewhere at the church and I lost it and I tore apart every bit of this building. I was looking inside hymnals. I was looking under things. I could not find my keys. And I sat there for a minute and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna pray. So I said, okay, Lord, I know this feels silly, but I lost my car keys. Can you please help me find my keys? So I'm walking around and all of a sudden this moment of inspiration came into my mind. I said, well, I put my, my keys on top of the piano and my microphone case was sitting on the piano. So I ran into there, dug into our equipment bag, pull it open and there are my car keys sitting right inside of my microphone case. God cares about the little stuff. But God also answers the big stuff. I think our prayers at time can often be too small. I tell our staff and our leaders all the time that we need to have big, hairy, audacious goals, well, BHAGs for short. Um, and we need to have these because we need to ask God to do things that are outside of our control, bigger than we are. And so I think for us as, as Christians, we need to have some big, hairy, audacious prayers. What would you pray if you really trusted that God was with you? It was closer than any friend. It was closer than the very air that you breathe. Would you pray that you'd finally overcome that besetting sin? Would you pray for healing? Would you pray for restored relationship, for something that seems so fractured, it seems beyond repair? And would you trust God to answer that prayer in the way that he chooses, not the way that you want? What a city on a hill was a church that trusted God is so close to us that of course he would answer our prayers. And I think we need to pray some of those big, hairy, audacious prayers as a church, that God would save our neighbors and friends, that he'd lead them to faith in Jesus, the people who seem the furthest away from believing in God, God can restore their hearts and change them to love him. We need to pray for God to grow our church. You know, pray that God will help us have a kingdom impact as kingdom people doing something that we could never do on our own. 
Let's pray these big prayers because God is with us. And lastly, generosity. Verse 22 seems like a weird addition. It says, And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. Why does he say this? Because he recognizes what's important. Everything was given to us by God. Everything has been given to us by God, and we can trust him to be generous people because he's with us, and he assures us of that. And so to be generous and loose-handed people with all the things that God has given us, we have to trust that he will provide, and this is a response to grace. When you see how freely Jesus has given his life for you, you want to do the same for others. You have to be willing to give away for the good of other people. And if we want to be a church that God wants us to be, we have to be a generous church. We have to be people who have received the greatest gift from God and are willing to give back in return. And as we're coming, even just thinking through budget season as a church, this is a chance to put this into practice. This is for our members and regular attenders. You need to examine and ask, am I being faithful to give in a way that reflects the way that Jesus has given to me? Does my giving show that I've experienced Jesus' presence and so that I'm going to use my resources to be a blessing to our city, a blessing to others through advancing church planning to do the ministry of City on a Hill Church? What are the steps God's calling you to take there? As we close for real this time, uh, Jacob experienced the presence of God. And, And this assured him of God's goodness and this changed him. And what we see is we see God standing at the top of the ladder. The stairway was the way to heaven, to bring heaven down to earth. And the way that God comes down to be near us and the vision that Jacob had was made visible for all of us through the life and the work of Jesus. That Jesus became a man to be with you. He went to the cross to die in your place so that you could be made right with God through giving your life to Jesus. And so this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, where do you need to be encouraged? Where do you need to be assured? Are you afraid? Jesus is with you. Are you anxious? Jesus is with you. Are you in pain? Jesus is with you. Are you longing? Jesus is with you. Are you experiencing sleepless nights? Jesus is with you. Purposeless days? Jesus is with you. More tears than you could possibly count? Jesus with you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can experience this too, as Jesus is the way, the only way to be made right with God. He is with you. Surrender your life to Him. Let's pray.